We're going to use studio trickery this time. Is that what you're saying? Always. Put wow. on your headphones. Okay. Well, that's our opening line is, are we going to use some studi studio trickery? Oh, I'll keep that one in. I bet you will. I thought, is it, doesn't Don do this show with us anymore? Or? She has a job. Blocking my view of the important things in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have the perfect picture of PSE hard at work. Lloyd playing World of Warcraft with Cash taking a nap next to him. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want a picture of somebody taking a nap, just come to me after the, the casino lunch. Yeah. You, yep. And then Don is uh, Don got a job at a real estate company for uh, for real real, for real estate. Um, no, for uh, property management. Huh. So she is a accountant property manager and uh so she can only show up now on weekends when we record and thursday afternoons she's off doing her thing making a paycheck hmm. i remember those days yep uh, it just reminds me you paid me yesterday and i forgot all about it <clears throat> what did i pay you for uh the uh, omaha trip oh yeah 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 i'm down oh by the way, everybody, that's Lloyd, if you didn't recognize him. So, uh, well, why don't we do an introduction here? Why don't we start the show? Okay. I keep trying, and you guys keep talking. Uh, remember we always used to have the witty banter section? It was never witty. <laughs> it was just banter. Well, I guess it's back. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the lifeless, endless void that we call time, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 229. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Lloyd. This is Mark. And there is no Scott. Only Zool. Okay, I got You've that never, reference. I was going to say, <laughs> Ghostbusters? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Didn't realize I was dating myself. I thought I was old. thought you were uh, old enough for that. Well, I've still got a bit of a cold. Scott went through his medical thing. You had your cold. I... Uh, we're lucky that we had everything to put up. That's kind of why the last one was for the Omaha Stamp Show, even though it was two weeks ago, is uh, we needed something to recuperate with. It's a good thing we were three weeks ahead or we'd be three weeks behind. Yeah. Well, today Scott is uh, staring at people putting in his zero scape lawn at his house. Excitement. Uh, joy a minute. Well, today we are not going to discuss Scott's lawn. We are going to discuss what you do when you get to the end of your collection. Yes. And you watch people put in your lawn. Or you uh, play World of Warcraft like uh, Lloyd is doing right now. He's doing his fishing quest because for those of you who aren't aware, uh, World of Warcraft Classic just came out. And so everybody is jumping all over that. I'm sure you have the stamp collectors in our podcast on the edge of their seat with that <laughs> breaking news. Well, I just got some green enchanted 
leggings for oh. free. Some guy came up and gave them to me. And it tripled my pant armor. Wow. Yeah. And you wonder why I wasn't participating there for a second. <laughs> Lloyd in leggings. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. You're going to thank you for this, that this is not a televised... <laughs> After a decade of collecting, have you hit a brick wall in regards to your collecting? Are the remaining items you need too expensive or unfindable? Or have you actually got every single item in your collection? We have some tips. So let's start with Mark. You've been collecting for many decades, yes? Yes. And you have, have you hit this wall before? I have. <laughs> I have, in fact. <laughs> I collect uh, U.S. revenues, and um, a few years ago, I completed my collection of U.S. dated breads. Um, Date, uh, those are the red revenues. Right, yeah, dated you red revenues are documentaries. You have a complete collection of red revenues. Right. Aren't some of those like in existence in just a handful of numbers? Yes, there's only a few that have some of these. But I managed to kill some of the people that had them. <laughs> <laughs> so they came onto the market. But, uh, but what I've been doing since then is um, uh, refining the uh, red revenues that I do have. So in a lot of cases where I have used examples, I'll replace them with uh, unused or mint examples. So that's kind of fun. Also condition, I would guess, like, Cut cancels, you're replacing with better stamps. Right, that. yeah. I'll replace cut cancels with non-cut or, or replace um, uh, um, those with uh, um, perfins with cut cancels, you know, wherever I can improve. What are the rare stamps in that? Because you brought up red revenues. I have just, there. there is a uh, X stamp shop in Las Vegas here called... Uh, Charleston Stamp Company and Ruth, who was a great little lady, she died, and the collection or the store got liquidated. And one of the, you know, I picked up some of the stuff, and one of the items was a bunch of stock pages of Red Revenues, this huge, huge group. What are the really rare ones, and how much, you know, you know how hard is it to find these really rare ones? Well, the um, anything that's uh, over thirty dollars, um, you know, which is the larger size red revenue, um, those you should take a look at. Um, uh, the odd um, uh, denominations like five hundred dollars and two hundred fifty dollars or, or twenty five hundred dollars, um, those are those are kind of rare. Anything dated nineteen forty, um, that particular set is is also kind of rare. Um, so uh, yeah, if you uh, if you've got some of those in there, because they only dated them for what five years. Uh, no, they dated in between 1940 and uh, and uh, um, uh, and the mid 1950s. Oh, okay. So it was like 15 years of them. Right, and then there's some that are undated, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting area. Could somebody take a undated one and add a date to it and have it increase in value, or is that? Yeah, you could do that. You can also change a date. Um, you know, from a three to an eight, and and might uh, that might change the value, but uh, but it's kind of you know people that are really experienced with revenues, uh, they can pick that stuff out pretty quickly. Mm. Cool. So, what'd you do after your red revenues? Uh, let's see. Um, of course, I collect U.S. Mint too, so there's there's no chance of of doing a complete collection of that. 
Um, I'd have to kill so many more. But, uh, but you know, one thing that you can do is if, uh, if you're sort of in a modest budget, and you, let's say you collect just famous Americans, um, you get uh, the full set of 35 stamps, but uh, maybe now you want to get them all so that they're all perfectly centered, you know, so that you have a, you know, really great or set. For day covers, I, ha- I used to have, uh, funny you mentioned the famous Americans, I had like six, and I have no clue why I did it. They were just there, so I needed to complete them. But there were six different first day cover sets of the different cachet makers. And I think there's a lot more than six, but I had these six. And I completed each set with all the matching cachets. And then afterwards, I looked at it, and I said, I have accomplished something. And then I think I just dumped them on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some famous Americans that are that are uh, harder to find well-centered. Oh, yeah. So John um, Philip Sousa. Yep. Yeah. Why, why don't you tell him that story, Lloyd? What story? The story about why the uh, two, number 886 is so rare, or 888. Uh, I heard that story from you, and since I figured you could always remind me what it was, I immediately forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the the Bicentennial in 1986, there were various cover companies that were making stamp covers, and the rate went from 13 cents to 15 cents. So they needed a two-cent filler stamp on all these commemorative covers. And so they went and they bought all the John Philip Sousa stamps that they could find because they were relatively cheap then. And they were in, they were plentiful. So every single John Philip Sousa stamp got bought out by these cover companies to make their 13 cent stamps into the 15 cent rate. And basically it just sucked them all off the market, just a giant vacuum cleaner hoovering all these things off. And so when you uh, go into grading, there is a lot of some of the stamps in grade 98s and even some hundreds. Uh, But the John Philip Sousa stamp, I think there's a small handful in 98s and I think there's one or two 100s or something like that. And it's interesting because nobody knew why until somebody looked at it and said, yeah, they all got vacuumed up to uh, make covers in the Bicentennial. But that's when, uh, because everybody thinks the uh, Graham Bell stamped the 10 center. Right. That's the hard one to find. That's the high value. And actually, that one's just as common as all the other ones. Yeah, so you can make a really interesting collection out of something, you know, that's fairly common. Mm. You could always just go for all the plate blocks as well. Yep. All four positions of all the plates would take care of any disposable income you happen to have for some time. <laughs> yeah, matching plate box set. Mm-hmm. You can just keep whipping that dead horse until you're out of money. Mm. How about you, Tom? Yeah, you collect original gum, correct? I mostly collect reference material. So some of it's original gum for some of the older stuff if I need some you know, good examples of, of gum. Uh, if it's colors, I don't really necessarily care if it's mint or used as long as the color's correct. Um, cause we get a lot of crazy shade varieties. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, as far as collecting, collecting, probably mostly I like, um, I really like the Confederate stuff, but there may only be 12 general issues, but the postmaster provisionals are like off the chart, and I don't even know where I would start with those. Oh, even if you collected only the 14 stamps that were regularly issued, you know, you'll get one of each one. And then the first four stamps, there are different plates, different settings, different varieties and everything. And then different printers. and Different printers. You could, uh, print, uh, you could collect those 14 stamps for a very, very, very long time and not have any duplication. I think right now, as far as the Confederate stuff, I probably have more counterfeits and fakes than I do real stuff. Oh, that's a good point, too. Yeah, I have a bunch of um, fake Postmaster Provisionals. I have some of the um, regular issue fakes that I've been given from people. So it's it's a cool thing to have because yep. if you're suspect, suspecting or suspicious of one particular stamp, it's nice to have a... a fake to compare it to and go oh yeah it does look like this one yeah on a related note i have quite an accumulation of zululand fakes including some that were obviously made on typewriters yeah <laughs> well actually you collect uh town cancels and stuff like that also so yes. you're in the past have you ever collected something hit a wall and then said okay i'm going to change to do this yes I originally started collecting the um, Channel Islands and the Isle of Man. And when I filled it up, I sold it off and haven't looked back until quite recently when I figured maybe I'll do that all again. <laughs> you know, because I went up to this place called the um, Charleston Stamp Store. Well, yeah. <laughs> and they had a lighthouse hingeless, I believe it was Guernsey, and it was mainly complete. And I decided, well, you know, why not get the next two? You know, and go back to doing that because too often, nowadays, you can go to a stamp show and have no British dealers there. Whereas when I started doing this, you know, even a small show would have three or four that were exclusively British Commonwealth. Yeah, that you know, that is a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, you have the floor to ceiling dealers. Like oh yes, Mr. Dempsey and. Uh, Mr. Ball and a couple others. and <clears throat> But overall, you don't have this sort of broad spectrum, let's call it, of dealers of uh, British Commonwealth or actually world, worldwide mm -hmm. at the stamp shows anymore like yeah. you used to. Well, that was the nice thing about uh, the Omaha shows. There are actually several dealers who, I don't remember if they were exclusively British or not, but they had extensive British stocks. Yeah. But, uh, you know, between that and also doing the um, Stanley Gibbons varieties, you know, the, what is, you know, the fly speck sort oh, of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's, you know, it doesn't make any difference if you've got 100 of them. If you see a stamp mark $2 that you can get 100 bucks for off eBay, you're going to buy it. Yeah, except you never put it back on an eBay. Well, you of course just, not. You just throw it in your stock book. You can My open it up and go, look, there's the extra flagpole. And I go, mm -hmm. oh, where? <laughs> well, that's just it. You get into my stamp book, it's a one-way trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of stuff like that. Uh, I, co I collect, um, well, I, I got refined. I started collecting just U.S., and I got to a point where I needed about 100. Uh, 
I needed all the special printings. Well, most of them, all but like two of the special printings. And other than the special printings, everything was $25,000, $15,000 or above. And I just said, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm never going, I have no desire to spend that much money on these stamps. And so then I specialized in U.S. number 11s. Hmm. And then with that, you know, that kept me for like 20 years I collected those. But, And I didn't hit a brick wall with it, but I hit a lack of interest in the end because I was much more interested in the history and the stories than I was in the piece of paper in the printing process. So you essentially wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Yeah, that's it. No, I, I put together my... Uh, 1850 to 1859 exhibit, which is an ever-evolving thing, because whenever I find a new story or hear a new story about something that happened during the that decade, I want to have an example, a philatelic example of it, and I want to make a page for it for the exhibit. Now, there's a question. If you do manage to complete something that you think is, you know, awesome in your own mind. Um, what is the uh, what's the possibility of exhibiting, of uh, you know, of showing it at a stamp show or something? I mean, what? It sort of depends what it is. <clears throat> I mean, like I have a complete collection of the Isle of Lundy, but I bought it. You know, the guy had it on his table for five hundred dollars, and I thought, well, that seems like a really cheap price, and it turned out to be an incredibly cheap price. So I bought it, and it was in four books, and I sold three of the books off that had, like, the first day covers and stuff like that and just kept the actual stamps. And so I have a complete collection of the Isle of Lundy. Could I exhibit it? Yes, but it would be incredibly boring. Yes, because what you're really exhibiting is the fact that you have filled in all the spots. All the spaces have been filled in. And I don't know if that's really something from a treatment standpoint that anybody's going to care about unless it's, you know, an FIP uh, competition and then, you know, the completed thing has to, the entire thing has to be worth two and, two and a half million dollars really to get competitive and five million if you really want to be competitive. So like a complete collection of Uruguay. And the reason why I bring that one up is I think four years ago, that's what won the FIP champion of champions. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, uh, and then there was, uh, you know, like Zoller, he completed the United States and then supposedly gross completed United States also. Right. Cause I'm wondering if you can, if you manage to complete something that is, really scarce uh like maybe have something having to do with um perfins or 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 uh pre-cancels or something like that where it's not something that requires a lot of budget but a lot of digging if that's uh if that's something that is exhibitable no that would be that would definitely be because I, I don't know that the competition should be limited to just those people who have two and two and a half million dollars to spend on Stamps. Well, that's the, uh, it was on uh, stamp boards, and I very much enjoy stamp boards. Shout out to stamp boards. 
um, they had a discussion where a person was talking about, you know, he he said, you know, I got a FIP gold medal. And he basically said, you know, did I? He asked me if I did. And I said no, because in the United States, we follow WSP, not FIP. Uh, World Ser- Series of Philately is WSP. FIP is something from Belgium. And they're characterized as you take everything you own, you throw it into the frames, and then the judges tell you what you're missing. Hmm. WSP, on the other side, goes much more into treatment than completion. So in WSP, you throw everything in the frame, and then you tell the story about it. And then the judge judges you on whether you conveyed the story. So taking two equal examples, um, a person is dealing with the... uh, 15 cent Colombian stamp from uh, 1893, the green one. And in a WF, excuse me, in an FIP exhibit, you would have all the essays and all the proofs and the, uh, the process of de- uh, developing the design. Then you'd have first day covers, usages, mailings every place, mint used blocks and everything like that. And then at the end, the, per, the judge would say, yes, you have shown the development of this stamp. In the WSP one, let's say they don't have much of the production stuff. They don't have a first day cover, stuff like that. They just have usages, only covers. That's all they have. And they're all covers to weird places because you want to have scarce stuff. You know, you can't... Sh- just show the stamp, you know, going from Boston to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So then they say, you know, this stamp traveled from here to here and here to here, and it paid the 15 cent rate, and the 15 cent rate did this and stuff like that. So this one here has a pair of them on it, and this one has four of them on it, and this one has two of them. And so at the end of that one, the person will say, the judge will say, yes, you conveyed the story about this stamp. Personally, I like WSP better than FIP because WSP goes into treatment, which to me is more like storytelling. FIP goes into completion, which is more like collecting, filling up a book. And like I already said, I am not a fan of just filling up the book. I'm a fan of collecting the stories about the stamps. Are there limits that you can push in uh, exhibiting? Like, for example, can you show penguins on stamps and as part of your exhibition have an actual penguin? They have an exhibit. And this is one of the things that really went into molding the WSP because when WSP came out, you know, people were like jabbing it with pins and stuff like that and seeing how far. And at uh, Westpex... They have an exhibit on cockroaches. And they actually have cockroaches in the exhibit. (laughs) Live ones? Dead ones. 
uh, actually encased in uh, plastic. And so, you know, everybody's going, ooh, neat. And they're also going, ooh, gross. And they're also, but I mean, it covered the entire realm of everything. And under WSP, they told the story. It got a gold. Hmm. It also got weirdest exhibit I've ever seen, <laughs> but it got a gold medal. Whereas in FIP, you know, every single cockroach stamp, they'd be saying, well, you're missing this one from Madagascar or something like that. Right. And you have non-philatelic material in here. You should get that out. Hmm. So there are the differences. So like I said, you were asking, you know, how easy is it to uh, exhibit a collection or something like that once you finish it? Um, it depends on what your treatment is going to be. If your treatment is, I completed it, every single slot is filled, and then you put it up and you show every single slot filled, FIP will say, that's a good exhibit. WSP will say, your treatment might be lacking. Hmm. Anything else? Going to roll into emails? Yeah, let's roll into emails. Well, we got an email from Vicky or Vissy VFU, who wrote about our latest podcast on the expertizing seminar at the APS Stamp Show. If I had been in Nebraska, I'd have attended the session. These things are always better live, and whilst it was perhaps aimed at an audience, quote, more junior than some members here, it also highlighted that there is no pixie dust in the system, and that people like Wayne, uh, this would be Wayne Youngblood, who was speaking on behalf of the APS, with quite rudimentary equipment at home, can use their experience and expertise to make correct identifications. Technology has a place, of course, in all investigations, but being a Ludite, I like to be in control of the machine, not let the machine drive me to a conclusion based on how it's been set up or configured. Too often today, people are over-reliant on machines and do not understand the results they throw out, and that can be scary or frustrating when you are experienced, less so when you are not. I learned there are no new tests to add to my radar. That's hardly time wasted. Thanks for giving us a chance to be a virtual attendee. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, they, uh, there, are, there is a lot of equipment we use here at PSE that you do not need, or could you really afford to do your uh, stamps at home. But uh, what are some of the cheaper pieces of equipment that we're using ones that are cheaper pieces probably um and we have some long wave and short wave uv lights that aren't incredibly expensive you but, can probably get for you know some of them less than 50 or 100 bucks i remember uh, subway was they had discontinued a bottle and i think actually the one you have under your computer screen Yes. That one came from Subway, and it was only 25 bucks. The tag light one? Yeah. Yeah, that thing's amazing for tagging. Yeah. It's got a it's it's got a filter on it and it's got a little it's got a little bar that that goes across so that you can change the filter from short wave to long wave. I have not personally found the long wave 
to really be any use, but the shortwave filter for tagging is incredibly good. Yeah. Um, so that one's that one's a great thing to have because it's hard to find a good shortwave light for things like tagging, and that's really all you need the shortwave for is for tagging these days. Um, long waves more for you know finding removed cancels and other fancy stuff like that or Carmen Lakes. Yeah, for Carmen mm-hmm. Lakes. Yeah. Which yep. congratulations to the person who uh, they sent in for Scott. I wish Scott was here. That would be such a great story. A person sent in about 150 strips that he thought were all Car- Carmen Lake. And we go, eh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what it is. But out of the 150 strips, he did have like 10 of them that were actually Carmen Lake. And these were like strips of eight and Yeah, 10. strips of like from four to ten. Yeah. A lot of. <laughs> so there's a lot of stamps there, and they catalog like 300 bucks each. So, yes, he didn't make it like a million bucks, but he has some really cool stuff there. And that's, yeah, long wave UV light. What about you, Mark? What do you use? Uh, I have well, I have a couple of different shortwave UV lights. Um, I had one when I first started here, which was kind of a cheaper one. I bought a more expensive one, and it, in that case, uh, the more expensive shortwave light was really worth the money because it really reveals a lot more. But uh, on long wave, I bought. Um, there's a uh, on Amazon. They have a couple of flashlights that are UV flashlights that they advertise for, you know, looking for scorpions and stuff like that. And those are really good, you know, good lamps for a long wave. Um, and I take them with with me when I go to shows, so I can, you know put the long wave on a stamp because a lot of time, there's a lot of things you can see in a long wave UV light on a stamp that you miss with a regular loop or you know, 10 power loop and a regular and regular lighting. Yeah. Yeah. You can pick up a lot of times you can pick long waves, um, repairs or things like that. Right. That you just, you know, show lighting is not conducive to stamp expertizing. Oh yeah. You miss a lot. Oh, just yeah. show lighting. Yeah. So um, I also picked up a um, uh, a lamp that uh, was a portable lamp that I can uh, set up with me uh, on the show floor. And I find that to be much better than relying on the dealer's uh, lamps because, you know, most, most dealers will, will provide lamps. But the problem is, is that the color temperature is different from one booth to the next. And so... Uh, if you if you have your own light, then then you're used to seeing that same that same color temperature, you know, on a stamp, and it makes it much easier uh, to discern, you know, things like uh, regumming that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, if if you're using the same lamp all the time. So Lloyd, you do mostly measuring. What do you mm-hmm. What do you like? What's your equipment of choice? My equipment of choice is the Ot light that uh, Scott gave me because he is, uh, was replaced. Ah, and uh, I was using a couple of just ordinary uh, LED type lamps you get for ten bucks at uh, at uh, what uh, IKEA. Mm. But you know, when you're measuring a stamp, you really you know who cares what color it is, you know. Oh, you, I'm sorry. Yes. You, who cares what color it is if you are just measuring the margins? It yeah. could be black and white. could be colorblind. Well, for me, my big piece of equipment, and I know I've mentioned it before, but uh, the loop, because we mm-hmm. used to use peak loops, and now the loop from uh, it's... Off Amazon, it's right? a, Oh, I get, hold on. It's 
T-E-K-C-O-P-L-U-S, whatever that spells. And it's a 10-power loop with a light in it. And whereas the peak loop costs about 100 bucks, this one costs 30 And it's got a light in it. Yeah, yeah it's got LED, a ring of LEDs inside of it. And it yeah. is so it's, great. It's heavier by far. Yeah. Because you got the lights and the battery and stuff. But I use that now. I love that thing. But the insert that goes in it for looking at stuff the one that comes with it is not beneficial to looking at stamps. There's too much. Yeah, it's way too There's busy. too much too much going on and not enough being able to see the stamp. So spending an extra 10 bucks after you buy that loop and going to peak and getting their standard reticle, yeah. which is just the A cross here. On it, yeah. yeah, it's just the cross here, and one line has the millimeter gauge going left and right. Um and it fits, which is perfect because it's oh, yeah, the same they're, size. They're both exactly. I also like I also like that lighted one because it has a bigger lens than mm. the standard peak one. So to me, it gives a little bit better field of view. Yeah, yeah. I use that same loop, but I use the light really sparingly because the batteries don't last all that long. Um, but when you really need it, it's helpful to have. I would. I think I would only use it at the show because, right. like Lloyd said, I have I have a daylight balanced LED on my desk, the same kind of ot light that he has that, you know, provides plenty of light to look at the stamp, and with the loop having the plastic bottom on, on yeah. it, that you know the light comes in real well. Well, yeah, but they, they as a suggestion, when you go on Amazon. A big, or let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten. A pack of ten of the, uh, they're like hearing aid size batteries. They're the little flat ones. Pack of ten batteries, $3.50. If you go to like Wal- uh, Walgreens or something, they're $3.50 each. Right. So if you're going to buy this, because you will put it away, accidentally leaving the light on and you'll come in and it'll be dead and then you'll have to replace everything spend the extra three dollars and fifty cents and get a whole plethora of batteries to put into it yeah the other thing i like the other thing i do is or the other reason i use the light sparingly is because i don't like having to change the batteries because you have to take the loop apart which means that you're unscrewing it and you're and you're messing up your focal that is true. You know, your, that your, is true. your focal length, so you have to readjust it every time you uh, change the batteries. But, um, but yeah, I, I like that loop, definitely. Yep. I have an issue with the focal point, but I had the same issue on the peak loop, and I guess right. it's just because I'm handling it so much over the course of a day, it always drifts. So right. I'm always refocusing it. My old peak loop was light enough. I actually put a rubber band on it. Mm-hmm. To hold it in one spot, and I just haven't done it to the new one, and I should. Yep, that's what I use as a rubber band. Because then it just it just yeah. kind of helps hold it in one spot and doesn't move around. Yep. I think another tool that's not, I don't know what they are new. I think that you can still buy them. Is the sinoscopes? I have never. I've owned several of them, and I uh, never been really overly impressed with them. Yeah, neither have I. Well, tell them what a sinoscope yeah. is first. Well, it's really for, I think, primarily for watermark detection. You can use it for some fault detection. Yeah. But it's primarily for watermarks. But it's just, um, 
it's a battery powered uh, box that has a, a light that shines in and you put the stamp on a plate with a heavy piece of um, plexiglass, I guess, over the top of it and that weighs it down and flattens the stamp out and then it's got a lever that you can adjust to um, apply pressure to the stamp and you turn the light on and it refracts light through the, I'm not even sure how it works exactly, but it refracts light in such a way that it helps the watermarks stand out um, but it's not great for gummed stamps. It's good yeah. for used, but gummed stamps it has a hard time with. Also, right. correct me if I'm wrong, it squishes it between a piece of plexiglass and a piece of sort of soft plastic. No, it's the bottom's metal. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. The bottom okay. of the tray is metal. The, the original one that I had way back, it had a hard surface and a soft surface. And the reason was is that the soft surface helped to sort of differentiate the different thicknesses of the paper like the watermark or a thin or something no i don't know the the one that scott has has just the hard bottom on it and the one that i have has the hard bottom on it now scott did find and gave me this pack of like little pieces of cellophane that go inside right and they sit on top of the stamp and um it's supposed to help the contrast, which is probably what you're talking about. Oh, so you but it's it. not something that's on the bottom of the, the tray itself. No, no, no. The bottom is hard. The top is soft. Or it's a softer. It's not a hard plastic. It's a semi-hard plastic. Yeah, not on mine. Okay. Mine's just got the plexiglass on top and the metal yeah. on the bottom. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of equipment. I mean, unless you get like into the VSCs and stuff like right. that. Really, you or know. Or the re- really high, high-powered... Yeah, LED, um, not LEDs, uh, UV lights. Well, that's one of the things that uh, if you listen to the podcast, uh, Mark, uh, sorry. If you listen to the podcast, Larry Lyons commented that, you know, I think that the VSC is, you know, can be replaced or something. I think it will be able to be not now, but in the future, because LED bulbs, you can get an LED uv bulb now for like 15 bucks and that replaces 10 years ago an led bulb that cost 300 or 400 dollars and so i can very easily see that sort of thing kicking in where you're just going to have you know a couple bulbs and you're going to go which one do i want to use and you screw a different bulb into the outlet and you'll have all sorts of different things that you can do and it's going to be incredibly inexpensive. But we'll see what happens. We're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, the most popular wavelengths of light now is, is UV and long wave into a smaller sense short wave. So there's a lot of that you know, available on Amazon. But it would be great to have a, um, a set of 12 um, lamps of all different wavelengths. Right. Or, or maybe a bulb. That had 12 settings to it. Right. Which right now you do have UV bulbs that have different settings to them. You can pump through different amounts of electricity and change it. But, uh, you know, those are, you know, they'll come down in value. We'll see what happens. Microscopes. To be pedantic, they'll come down in price. The value remains the same. That's true. <laughs> I will say microscopes. Yep, good thing to have. Not yep. not ridiculous ones. No, no, no. You, uh, 
you can get a good used biocular, not really a microscope, but a biocular for 50 bucks. And that's always a really good one because, you know, instead of holding a magnifying glass over the stamp, you just put it under there. And a biocular is basically just a microscope with two eyeballs. Binocular, yeah. Yeah. But um, we use those all the time. Those are yeah. those save your eyeballs. And plus, it's a really convenient to be able to manipulate the stamp with two hands yeah. while you're looking at it. Yeah, mine is... Um, Seven and a half X to thirty five X. So, you know, and thirty five X is. I don't think I don't think looking at a stamp you would ever need more than that. Yeah, I don't. And I don't think you'd need that, but you do. Okay. Um, color omitteds. Oh, that's having a good point. something along the lines of a getting into thirty five X with a light source, because when it's omitted, you have to make sure it's omitted. Yeah, not a single dot. Um, tagging omitted. Yeah. Uh, same kind of thing, which is a pain in the butt right now because you know you got to take your big loop and or your big uh, tag light and stick it under there. That's where your your little lights would be really cool. Yeah. But yeah. Um, well, the expensive. You know, yeah. seven seven. What did I say? Um, seven and a half to thirty five x is really fine. And one of the things is you know it's. It's a heavy little thing. I mean, it's yeah. you know, not something you're going to carry around. So you can set up your light source so that it hits it at a certain angle so that your light is always perfectly there. Your your bino uh, biocular is always there. You, it's all set up. So all you do is you drop the stamp in, you look at it, you move it around, next stamp, et cetera. I hate to say I'm a bit of a nerd about it, but I want, um, I want a trinocular microscope. It's got the hole in the top that you can put the cam, the digital oh, camera in, so you yep. can, so you could look at it, but you could also look at it on a screen too and take pictures of it and stuff like that. That's, I would love one of those, but oh, that's a new one's like seven hundred dollars. Oh, yeah, but the uh, it used to be seven thousand. Right. It, it was funny. I was uh, looking on Facebook, and by the way, uh, stamp show here today is on Facebook. Uh, if you want to go friend us there, they had this little um, drone with a camera on it, and the camera then accesses you access it off your or your phone, and you control it. This thing was about six inches. It costs forty dollars with a camera on it, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, "I saw these like in the spy movies." Where they cost tens of thousands of dollars. That's and now, because the government was using them. Yeah, and now you can buy one on Facebook for forty bucks. Yeah, I mean the prices stuff is just ridiculous. Yeah, and the, in Lens you see advertisements for um, these little thirty power microscopes that are about the size of a pack of cigarettes, and I bought one, and I actually use it, and it works pretty well. It's got a little tiny LED light that you press the button and it'll and it'll light up your the area. It's nice because it's portable. It's it's not it's not it's not the binocular type. You know, uh, it doesn't have those kinds of advantages. But it is uh, it is great to you know to carry with you, and I carry it with me, and I I definitely use it for for looking at um, at the uh, tips of perforations to to see if something's been uh, regummed. I used to and, have something like that for yeah. my number elevens. 
because yeah. you always wanted to check out the recuts. You needed to look right. at the recut frame lines and the recut diamonds and stuff like that. And so I had one of those, and it was expensive back then. And it was only fair because it didn't give you a very big uh, field of vision. Right. It was a very small field of vision. Yeah, and plus it don't, it shows everything upside down. Yeah. So, yeah. but um, but that was a cheap alternative to, um, you know, to having the, the binocular type of microscope. One last thing I was going to say about microscopes before we wrap up for the day is we have had here digital microscopes in the past, and they tend to be pretty decent as a training tool because you can show someone what you're looking at on, on a computer screen. The problem that I have with the digital ones when expertizing is that you lose the, the depth of field that a binocular microscope has because now you're looking at the 2d image on the screen instead of actually looking at yeah. it's to me it's harder to see things like a reperf that has like classic beveled holes or something on a digital microscope on a computer screen than it is if you have it under a binocular microscope that's like sitting on your desk or maybe even a monocular i don't use i don't I haven't used one for expertizing but that's a, a common thing that I've had a problem with with digital microscopes. Yeah. I just I lose the the clarity of what I'm seeing, and I don't know if it's just 3D vision of looking at something in real life versus looking at it on a computer screen. It's just to me it loses something on the screen. Yeah, you're looking at the software interpretation of what's coming through the the lens. Right. Versus, you know, your eyeballs looking through the lens. So, I mean, for someone that's more tech-oriented, I wouldn't necessarily say, because you can get inexpensive digital microscopes, I wouldn't necessarily say take that over a traditional sit-on-your-desk or even what Mark has with a pocket microscope, because I think, you know, like you said, you, you lose something in there. So, that's my two cents. So that's going to wrap it up for today. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 229. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Lloyd. And this was Mark. One new voice message and one saved message. New message. You have been listening to the award-winning Stamp Show here today, brought to you by the Nevada Philatelic Research Library. Produced and edited by Cash Breakfast. With engineering and recording by Tom Schilling, research by Scott Murphy and Mark Leon, and I'm your host, Don Doss. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or Podbean, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com, and thank you for listening. To replay this message, press 1. To delete, press 7. To save, press 9. Message saved. There are no more messages. Main menu. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.